Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of movie pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Hello there, witches and weirdos. Welcome to another episode of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Mason, and for this holiday day and the beginning of 2021, thank God we've made it, or thank the gods, thank whatever gods you pray to, i am got a little treat for you. Because of the holidays, I didn't want to ask anyone to give up family or vacation time to do a podcast with me, so today's just going to be me, but it's going to be fine because I have a lot to say about the movie we're talking about today because... It is one of my favorite movies of 2019, and it's also one of my favorite movies ever. It's a movie I've talked about uh, on this podcast already, because I think it's secretly one of the most pagan and witchy movies out there, and it is, of course, Frozen 2. Yes, yes it is. Now, <laughs> now I know some folks will raise an eyebrow about that, because, well, it's a Disney movie, and it's a kid's movie, and all of that, but... When we look at children's movies in general, that's where we actually see a lot of fantasy and magic, and that's because childhood is when it's easiest to believe in magic. Magic is intuitive. It's a force of the universe. It's as natural as wind or gravity, but it's energy, and we don't see it with our eyes. We see it with our hearts and our imaginations and our spirits, and that's so much easier when you're a kid than when you're an adult. You have to unlearn the faith you have in magic as a kid. But movies, especially ones for kids that also appeal to adults, they help us to believe in magic again. And they help kids believe in magic and they teach us fundamental, archetypal, nearly mythological lessons. That's why movies are great and that's why I love them. So they can't just move us emotionally, they can inspire us, both in terms of our morals and getting through life or magically. And Disney, no matter what you think of them corporately or other ways, is a pretty damn good at conjuring magic. So in case you live under a rock, uh, a quick summary of Frozen maybe is in order, or Frozen 1 and Frozen 2. If you missed other, I don't know how that's possible, but you do you. So in Frozen, Elsa is a queen with magical ice powers who get them hidden from her sister. Actually, this is going to get kind of boring, so I'm going to call on some help here. Um, Olaf? It's really quite simple. It began with two sisters, one born with magical powers, one born powerless, their love of snowmen, infinite. I don't know, do I? Blast! Oh, Mama, Papa, help! Slam! Door shutting everywhere! Sisters torn apart! Well, at least they have their parents. Their parents are dead. Oh, oh hi, Amana. I'll marry a man I just met. Elsa's gonna blow! Snow, snow! Oh, Magic pulses through my snowflakes. Ice pallets for one! Ice pallets for one! Get out, Anna! My heart! Oh my goodness. Only an act of true love can save you! Here's a true love's kiss. You're not worth it! Guess what? I'm the bad guy! What? 
and Anna freezes to death forever. Oh, Anna. Then she unfreezes. Oh, and then Elsa woke up the magical spirits and we were forced out of our kingdom. Now our only hope is to find the truth about the past, but we don't have a clue how to do that except Elsa's hearing voices, so we got that going for us. Any questions? Okay, thank you, Olaf. That was great. So, before we get into Frozen 2, um, I want to talk about Frozen 1. You know how it's a pretty damn witchy movie, too. Because, yes, Elsa is a witch, and in our household, we definitely know that. So, I have a daughter who is five and a half years old as of this recording. And that means I've seen the original Frozen five million times. Now, in the canon of Disney films that my kid ha is or has been obsessed with, it actually ranks pretty high. But it's not my favorite. Before Frozen, my two favorite like CGI 3D animated movie Disney rankings would be Moana, Tangled, and then Frozen. We also love Zootopia here in this household, but that's a different kind of movie, so it doesn't really figure into things. But Frozen 1 is a fascinating movie to me because you can sort of see the seams of how it was once one movie and was stitched together into another. I'm not just like extrapolating that, that's really on the record because when they started Frozen, Disney wanted to do a version of The Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen. He also wrote The Little Mermaid and he's also the protagonist of one of my favorite childhood movies, Hans Christian Andersen from 1956 with Danny Kaye. It is in no way an accurate representation of that author's life, but it's a great ballet movie, and we'll actually come back to it in a second. Now, when I say when they started Frozen, that's not quite accurate. Disney wanted to do The Snow Queen very, very early in the studio's history, like in the 30s and 40s, right after Snow White and Pinocchio. They had this idea that they were going to do a whole movie of Hans Christian Andersen's stories, including The Little Match Girl and The Snow Queen and The Little Mermaid, but then... World War II happened, and there's a lot of turmoil at the studio with money and unions and all sorts of things. It's a fascinating history to get into, which I won't get into here. But that kind of slowed things down. And then by the 50s, they had Danny Kaye had made this Hans Christian Andersen movie, and so they didn't want to redo something that had just been done because there's a great Little Mermaid sequence in that movie. But So they ditched that project. But there's still some really cool... Um, concept art from that era that you should really look into that's very neat. Disney came back to the idea of doing the Snow Queen in the late 90s, early 2000s, and that's when the animation studio was actually really floundering. It was kind of post-golden age. They were making movies like Treasure Planet and Atlantis, and I mean, there were some good ones in there like Emperor's New Groove, which just had its 20th anniversary, but they wanted to get back that magic of the Disney Renaissance. So they're like, okay, queens, princesses. And so they were started re-examining this idea of the Snow Queen. And when they were looking at it, it was something much closer to the original story, where it was about a kid whose heart had been distorted to be cold because he only sees the ugliness in the world. In the original story, by the way, this happens because the boy, Kai, gets a shard of a mirror made by the devil in his eyes. And then he goes off and makes friends with the Snow Queen because she just digs that he's so mean and cold to everyone. Um, the love and the very Christian faith of his friend Gerda eventually is what saves him. It's a story about a different kind of true love. And that's the hook that got the project going again. The Snow Queen went through so many versions and eventually became something called Anna and the Snow Queen. With Elsa as the Snow Queen. And she was the villain. At that point, the director Christopher Beck was on and... He, but the film still wasn't working. And Disney hit on the idea, though, at that point that this, 
Anna and the Snow Queen would be sisters, and it would be their love that would save the day, not a prince's kiss. And that was a really big deal. But still in these early drafts, Elsa was still evil. Then they brought on the two creative forces that would change the movie. It was Jennifer Lee, who was first a screenwriter and then eventually became a co-director, and she was also the co-director with Christopher Buck of Frozen 2, and the songwriting team of Kristen Anderson Lopez and Robert Lopez. And as part of the development there, they dug into the sister stuff, and they came up with a little song that's probably changed Disney history. go is so good. It makes the entirety of Frozen work, but it's also so good it couldn't be a villain song. So Elsa became a very different character thanks to that song. This also happened very late in the production. So they only had like a year and a half to make the entire movie after this. So, but it really made such a difference because Elsa became this character who was acting out of fear and anxiety and depression and Changing Elsa to be a co-protagonist and heroine also allowed the film to make another big change, making the real villain Hans, and his reveal that he's really the villain is one of the best moments of Frozen. So a lot of what makes Frozen 1 so great kind of happened by accident. But we ended up with this movie that was about another kind of love, and it was about self-acceptance and inner strength and familial love and where the hero queen had power, and all of that was just amazing. And I want you to think of the great Disney women and the great Disney witches and sorceresses like Maleficent, the Evil Queen, and Ursula, or even Yzma, if you want to go later. Those are all villains. There had been, up until this point, pretty much no, like, good witches in Disney movies. Now, like, the protagonists of Sleeping Beauty are the fairies, and they do use magic, but that's sort of different from witches, and we do have... Mama Odie in Princess and the Frog, but that's also a problematic movie because we have another magic-using character in there that is very weirdly coded with race and queer coding. Queer coding was also an issue for characters like Jafar. So up until Frozen, we have this story that we're being told by Disney that magic is something for marginalized people, but usually it's people who are going to be evil. So that's a kind of weird message about magic until we get Elsa. Elsa is in the Disney princess lineage. She's actually a queen and she has awesome powerful magic. No wonder that every little girl and big girls wanted to be Elsa and went insane for her because princess and magic awesome. Elsa gave them permission to be powerful and made magic good. Elsa is everything, and she isn't defined by a hetero love story either. It's amazing. We love Elsa here. But Frozen also gave fans permission to be normal. Anna is the one who saves the day with love, 
fam- familial love, not magic. And that's really important, too. Frozen, almost by accident, became this revolutionary story for girls. It's a movie that makes points about anxiety and true love. And even though it has flaws, like that stupid troll song in the second half of the movie that I hate so much, and the lack of diversity and important female characters outside of Anna and Elsa, I really love this movie for its good qualities. And Let It Go is simply one of the best Disney songs of all time. But the emotional and spiritual resonance of Frozen 1 is nothing compared to the sequel. That in and of itself is kind of amazing. Disney was able to return to this powerful property, this successful property, and make something better. And Frozen 2 is actually a movie that makes Frozen 1 better because it retcons and explains a lot of the problems of Frozen 1. <laughs> um, it also makes sense but when you look at how Frozen 2 was made because it's, it's good because it's addressing the problems of Frozen 1. It's answering some of the questions and issues many of us had after Frozen. Like, seriously. If you look at like the top five critiques of Frozen 1, you see them all addressed in Frozen 2. Like, number one, there's not enough diversity. It was all white people and mostly the only two women who talked were Anna and Elsa. We changed that. There are black characters in Frozen 2. There are indigenous characters. There's a lot more female characters. It's just a lot more diverse. And that is a definitely a conscious choice that they made. And I really respect that. Again, you also have the use in Frozen of indigenous artwork and songs and patterns is based on the songs and culture of the Sami people of Norway and Scandinavia. But that's really not addressed. And then in Frozen 2, the Sami were consulted and worked with the production and the directors, and they're the basis for the Northuldra. And that's really cool. Then another, number three, why the heck do you have Jonathan Groff in your movie and not give him a full song? Solved. Lost in the Woods is one of the best songs in Frozen 2, though pretty much all the songs are great. Number four. This might just be me. Too many trolls. Way too many trolls. Solved. Frozen 2 is mainly troll-free, and, like, the trolls are used pretty well. And, of course, five is Elsa needed to be gay. Okay, well, they didn't explicitly make her gay in Frozen 2, but they didn't make her not gay. And she and Honey Marin obviously have a thing going on, so, honestly, I will, like, give them a half a point for that. But a lot of what makes Frozen 2 is also about the big plot questions they address that were left over from Frozen 1. Like, where does Elsa's magic come from? Where do these characters go from here? And how will they be, how will they act now that they are empowered women? These are the things many of us wanted to know and what Frozen 2 answers. Now, I say many of us because I know there were a lot of people who were like, why does this exist? What was there left to say after Frozen? about this movie and those people were wrong and obviously hadn't been forced to dissect every aspect of Frozen after watching it a hundred times with their three-year-old. This is a profound movie. People wake up and it like, tied up so many important plot strings. But okay, I'm getting a bit worked up here. But I'm joking. But also kind of not. Frozen 2's big questions are born from the big questions we ask in life. And yes, in our witchcraft and our paganism, where does magic come from? Who are my ancestors? Where do I come from? Where do I fit in with the world and with spirit? What is my relationship to magic and divinity and spirit? That's where we get to the magic and witchcraft in this movie. Because not only is Elsa an empowering, witchy, magical character, her journey is so profoundly spiritual and deeply pagan 
and the answers to our big questions are pagan too. Now before I go further, I want to be upfront that some of what's coming next is adapted from some posts I wrote in December of 2019 on the Mary Sue, and it's called Yes, the Pagan Power of Frozen 2. You should go read it if you'd like to, but I'm going a lot deeper here. I figure it's fine to steal from myself a bit, but if you want to check that out, it's still there. I also have posts on the folklore that in the movie that I get into here, and I also have one about how Kristoff is a paragon of non-toxic masculinity, which is off-topic for today, but still important and true because Kristoff is amazing. But anyway, onward! Wait, wait, no, that is a different movie. Sorry. Now, when I say Frozen 2 is pagan, I mean that in several ways. For one, most of the magic and spirituality in the movie comes from non from indigenous non-Christian roots and archetypes, but it's also pagan in the sense that it's a nature-based spirituality, and the overall ethos of the movie is very much the opposite of Christian and monotheistic, which is one definition of pagan, but not the only one. But let's be honest, paganism is in many ways the opposite of Christianity, whereas Christian traditions or monotheistic traditions focus on a single god who holds power and grants salvation and controls everything, even where divinity is external, the pagan worldview sees it not only many gods and goddesses, but also divine power in all things, especially nature. And that encompasses so many different pagan and witchy worldviews and faiths, even those that don't encompass gods. You do see magic and power and spirit in everything. It's internal, not externalized. One of the themes of this movie is that water has memory. And within that is the idea that everything, each drop of water and rock and tree and creature, has a life, has a spirit, has a name. Oh, okay. Sorry. Wrong movie. Again. But you get it. There's magic everywhere in this world. Frozen 2 is about the divine power in everything. That's its theological underpinnings. But it's also about other related things that are so important to witches and pagans. Balance. Working with nature and the elements. Frozen 2 is all about balance. Both of the classical elements of earth, air, fire, and water, and of human humanity with nature. And also the balance of the scales of justice. Frozen 2 has no real human villain, which is really cool. The villain is imperialism and colonialism. And the balance that's achieved at the end of the film is from righting ancestral wrongs and respecting indigenous people's use of their own land, resources, and traditions. That's amazing. I love that. And that's something every pagan should get behind. And the real story of the film begins when Elsa is called by a voice only she can hear and awakes the spirits of the enchanted forest because she is seeking her own balance. She's trying to know herself and understand her power, and she can't get that in Arendelle because... The natural world's out of balance. She's not quite where she belongs. She's shut up in her castle and cut off from a part of her history she doesn't know because the people of Arendelle murdered and manipulated the indigenous people of the North Uldra. Elsa and Anna's whole journey in this movie is about undoing the wrongs of their ancestors and connecting to their other ancestors as it's revealed that both of them are descended from the North Uldra because their mother, Iduna, was North Uldra. Their mother knew how to work and live with magical spirits of the Enchanted Forest. That's pretty big, and that's a really important fix to the old movie, where the first movie, where their mother doesn't even get to talk. But let's talk about those magical spirits, which are basically the elements. Now, this is not the first time that earth, air, fire, and water have been featured in a kid's movie or show, or even a movie in general. You've got Avatar, 
By the way, I mean the last airbender, not the James Cameron Vern Gully with giant smurfs. You've got Captain Planet. You've got the fifth element. The elements are such a fundamental part of the Western understanding of the world and the natural world that I don't even think you can say that they are per se pagan. But they are a huge part of magic for all of us who practice. And the way that they express themselves in Frozen as Elsa's allies and personifications of much larger magical forces feels very witchy and pagan to me. And yeah, I use this movie to help teach my kid about magic and paganism. When we talk about this, I say, look, that thing on the altar, that's for fire and that one's for air. And she immediately will be like, oh, like in Elsa's movie. Speaking of... Oh, no, she's not in here. Yes, I am. <laughs> Wait, here, come here. I have to ask you a question. Mom, did you know I was there all along? Yes, I did. How? Mama's magic that way. So, I'm a, hey, Tam, so today on my podcast, I'm talking about Frozen 2. Can you tell me what you like about Frozen 2? I what I like about Frozen 2 is where, Elsa, is where Elsa jumps in the water and she makes the ice sculptures. Mm-hmm. And I also like the part where she goes on the water horse. You like the part where she goes on the water horse? Yeah. Can you sing a bit of Elsa's song? I do know one song. Okay. You're talking to Mike. I do know one song from Frozen 2. And it's called The North Wind. Where the North Wind meets the sea, where the river is full of memories. Don't touch that. Go ahead. Mom, I forgot. Come, my darling, homeward bound. For in this river, always found. In the waters, deep and I guess I was joking when I said we didn't have a podcast guest today because that was my little one saying hi. She had hidden in the closet where I record all my podcasts. So let's talk more about the uh, spirits of the Enchanted Forest, the elements in this movie. The creators of Frozen 2 really did some cool work and research, and not just into the elements, but into the animals and creatures that represent these spirits. The first spirit that Anna and Elsa meet when they journey into the Enchanted Forest is Gale, the air or wind spirit. And I love how Gale is animated because she's truly a character, even though she's just, you know, wind. She's pretty much the most literal spirit. But then they meet Bruni, the salamander, who is also so cute. And now we have a little Bruni that we got for Christmas. Salamanders have a long history as representatives of fire. And it was believed that the mythical kind of salamanders used to live in the fire. But uh, why? why? Why would you have a lizard living in fire? Well, in researching this, I learned that salamanders like to hang out in dry wood. That wood gets put on a fire, and then they rush out. Some people thought, oh, I guess the lizards live in the fire and not in the wood and just want to live. But that's how salamanders became associated with fire. And I love it. And then we have the earth giants, who seem kind of visually related to the trolls in the first movie. And as much as I like 
you know, hate on the trolls. I do love this visual connection because, of course, the magical creatures we met before are related to these new magical creatures. And it's sort of implied visually that they have the same root of their magical powers. It's cool. But by far, my favorite spirit, and obviously my daughter's, was the water horse, known as the Nock. So unlike other mythical elements in this movie, like Atahalan, which is not a thing in any folklore I could find, the Nock is a legit breed of fae or magical creature. The Nock is one of many names for a breed of Scandinavian water spirit. The fairy or spirit is known as the Neck, the Necky, the Nicker, the Nook, and so on, and all these other words I'm probably butchering. I'm so sorry to any speakers of these Scandinavian languages. But they're also closely related to the German Nixie, who is um, essentially a shape-shifting river mermaid. All these water spirits could change in shape and appearances, and they're water, after all, and they could bless you or drown those that they met. The water hellers that Elsa meets and rides is closer to something called a Bekahest, or brook horse, a water spirit of Scandinavian myth that can be harnessed by those who are pure of heart. There is a veritable zoo of water horse spirits in folklore, by the way, which Frozen True creatives drew on for this in many ways. One aspect of the knock in earlier development that didn't fully make it into the final film, but explored in deleted scenes, is that the knock could judge a person's heart and would drown them if they're not true of heart or just truthful. You sort of see that in this fantastic scene where Elsa tames the knock and is judging her spirit in the dark sea. It's not just a test of her power, but of her heart and her resolve. I love that scene and the water animation. And I just love the look of the knock with the waterfall as its mane. It's so great. I also love her taming the knock, how she sort of channels the Roman Celtic goddess of Epona, who is a horse goddess who brought fertility, but also served as a psychopomp, guiding souls into another world, which is where Elsa must go in order to find her fifth spirit that final point of the pentagram. But that's really the most profound part of the journey for me. That's where Frozen 2 journeys into the unknown, one might say, to the realm of the goddess in all her forms. The goddess is so many things. She's a mother, and we see that a lot in this movie. We begin Frozen 2 with Queen Iduna singing that song that my daughter helped me to sing with the lullaby recalling the legend of Atahalan. Like, as I said, this magical glacier river isn't a real place in any myth I could find. But the idea of an in-between place where the elements meet in a spiritual nexus or where all knowledge exists does pop up in some mythology and some branches of paganism and occult and esoteric thought. Basically, Atahalan is the Akashic Records, if you've ever heard of that, which is just sort of this general repository of all knowledge ever. That's sort of pretty fun detail that Elsa goes to the Akashic Records. But let's go back to back to our goddesses. Elsa and Anna's mom, Queen Iduna, is actually named after a real goddess. Iduna, the Norse goddess of spring and keeper of the apples of immortality. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Elsa's journey brings her closer to her mother, who she learns with Northultra and lived and worked with the spirits of nature and the four elements. She's getting closer to the goddess. She's getting closer to magic. Elsa is called to Atahalan by a voice she believes to be the fifth element, but is actually so much more. Now, if you're like me, you are a Disney nerd who has watched all six episodes of Into the Unknown, The Making of Frozen 2 on Disney+, Plus, which is fantastic. 
behind the scenes of just how animation happens. I can't recommend it highly enough. But the main like through line of that six episode series is how hard it was for the creators to crack Show Yourself. It was the hardest moment of the movie for them to get right. They almost rewrote the whole song or ditched that moment. But the big question of who is calling to Elsa was what really kind of flummoxed them for a lot of the production. And Jennifer Lee and the creatives went back and forth if it was Elsa or her mom or something else. But they kind of came to this conclusion that in a sense, it's both. It's Elsa's mother, but she's also calling in something within Elsa herself. The voice Elsa hears is both the call of magic inside her and the call of her ancestors and the call of her own desire to seek something magical and divine. I think that's a call we witches and practitioners of magic and pagans all feel. It's a call to the earth, to the numinous, to call to magic, to more. Now, there's no Bible or holy books in paganism, though there are certainly texts that express simply and beautifully the essence of what can drive our faith. They can express the essence of the goddess and what she means. In many cases, we find those expressions of the divine in music or poetry or even fiction, even movies. For me, as I've mentioned on this podcast, one of the texts that's closest to my heart is The Charge of the Goddess, originally written by Doreen Valiente, but for me, the version that I adhere to most closely and that I've memorized and kept in my wallet for years is by Starhawk. And it applies so perfectly to Frozen 2 that it's almost, well, magic. In The Charge of the Goddess, the goddess speaks directly to the seeker, telling them how to honor her and find the goddess in magic. And one part of the, jar, the charge reads, I give the knowledge of the spirit eternal, and beyond death I give peace and freedom, reunion with those that have gone before. And later, for I am the soul of nature that gives life into the universe. From me all things proceed, and unto me they must return. That's out of Holland. That's where Elsa goes. She ends her quest connecting with that spiritual nexus. It's with, but it's also there within everything. It's that memory within water. It's magic. In Show Yourself, Elsa pleads to this divine female power that's been calling her, asking, Are you the one I've been waiting for all my life? But in Otto Holland, Elsa finds her past, connects with the divine spirit of her mother, and discovers the fifth element, the divine, is her. And going back to the charge, You who would seek to know me, know that the seeking and yearning will avail you not, unless you know the mystery. For that which you seek you find not within yourself, you will never find it without. For behold, I have been with you from the beginning, and I am that which is attained at the end of desire. Those words of the goddess are, for me, the essence of modern pagan teaching, and even ancient pagan ways, depending on how you view this stuff. That divinity and power don't come from a distant god, but from the divine within us. Show yourself as like an animated version of the charge. Elsa has moved beyond the normal and in between the world, but she's also come home to herself. She journeys deep into that liminal realm through shining caves that, yes, let's admit it, look kind of like a Georgia O'Keeffe painting, if you know what I mean. I mean vaginas. 
And she finds the goddess. She finds magic. She finds her mother's voice and spirit, telling her that the fifth spirit was with her all along. When Elsa and her mother sing, show yourself, step into your power, grow yourself into something new, they're sharing that same message that the greatest power is right there inside of you. When I tell you I sobbed through this entire song when I first saw this movie, I am not being hyperbolic. For me, this moment is the essence of magic in my own spiritual viewpoint and journey. It's Elsa discovering how something within her connects to everything, to the divine, to the ancestors, to the earth, and it is so beautiful. Now, if you're a fan of the pod, you've heard me talk about the heroine's journey. I talked about it in the context of The Wizard of Oz in our first episode, which please go back and listen to if you haven't. It's different from the archetypal hero's journey, though it has some similarities. The heroine's journey is a goddess journey. It's a seasonal journey. It's Persephone's journey. It's a journey through the underworld, through death and darkness, and even the sins of the past to emerge, reborn, and renewed. And yes, I do get in that in some ways. That applies to Jesus. But hey... Archetypes got an archetype. That's what happens to Elsa, because she kind of dies when she goes deep into Adahalan and discovers her asshole grandhead killed the North Older leader who was just making tea. It's dark for a kid's movie to see Elsa literally be frozen, and for the signal that she's dead to be that the life she created, Olaf fades and dies. And that's where Anna picks up the heroine's journey in a move that the movie makes it, I just love. She is also literally in the underworld in these scenes. She's in this cave. She's lost and underground. When Elsa seemingly dies and then Olaf disappears and she's left all alone. What Anna does then is just as powerful as what Elsa does. Anna doesn't look for magic or the gods or anything outside of her at all. She finds that strength in herself. She does the next right thing, one step at a time which is something everyone needs to learn. And she emerges from that dark place stronger. And she's the one who saves the day. Again, like you do. She doesn't control or tame the earth giants either. She works with the forces of nature to set things right and undo the crimes of her ancestors and honor her other ancestors and free the North Uldra, free the enchanted forest. That's so great. And I love that scene. Like, I love everything about it. But the scene where Kristoff comes in and just says, what do you need? That's, that's non-toxic masculinity. Thank you. She brings back the balance. And through that, Elsa is reborn or she's saved from certain deaths, depending on your point of view. Elsa and Anna find themselves in their power through journeying through death itself. For Elsa, it's very literal. And by claiming and embracing her power that was always inside of her, she becomes something new, something divine, magical. She's a goddess. 
Her journey through the underworld is sort of like Psyche's, who journeys through the underworld and then actually dies in her myth and then is reborn as a goddess. And yes, I have seen the TikTok theory that says Elsa literally does die when she's frozen at the bottom about to haul in there. And yeah, that works, but this is a myth thing. This is an archetype thing. This is how rebirth works. Goddesses and gods die and are reborn with seasonal cycles. It is not a coincidence that this movie is set in the fall. It's about how, as much as we'd like to believe that some things never change, mostly they do, nature is a constant cycle of growth and death and rebirth. And in that cycle, fall is a time of death. And winter, Elsa's kind of frozen season where we are right now, that's where we find the spark of rebirth. That's where we find that spark of magic. You know, if you think of Iduna, the mother, as the mother archetype of the goddess, and you can very easily see Anna as the maiden, we could almost see Elsa as a crone, sort of a winter goddess like the Kaliak who rules over the cold but also holds that spark of life and magic and rebirth. Heck, if we want to go like really galaxy brain on this, Elsa's spark of magic and life, the divinity that connects souls and spirits and comes from her essence as the fifth spirit, this bridge between mortal and divine planes, it is personified by Olaf the Snowman. Yes, stay with me. Elsa can literally create life with her powers, which is pretty amazing. And that life can be reborn after dying, because water has memory and Olaf comes back. If we want to go in deeper into this glacier of crazy... And dig into, like, the larger Frozen cinematic universe, which, believe me, I have seen every Frozen movie and short and everything many, many times. Olaf's life just doesn't come from Elsa's powers. He comes from Elsa's love. Like, if you guys have seen Olaf's Frozen Adventure, the little Christmas movie they made, that's on Disney Plus, is great. You find out Olaf is literally the, the symbol of the love between Anna and Elsa. And all the other living little snow people Elsa creates, they show up when she's either being very loving, like in Frozen Fever, when she's showing Anna how much she loves her and sneezing and makes little snow guys, or very anxious, like in Frozen 1, where she makes marshmallow. Life is love. Love is Olaf. Okay, maybe, maybe that's why he's so popular. It's some sort of alchemy magic spell being cast there. And yes, please note, I'm being <laughs> a bit silly here. But hey, we can find divine meaning and magic in anything if we look close enough. Because, like we've been talking about, there's divinity and spirit and magic in all things, even Disney movies and characters that sell five billion toys. But as Olaf says, enchanted forests are a place of transformation for everyone. That's what magic and ritual can do for us. They take us between the worlds, transform us, teach us to work with the energies of nature, the divine, both outside of us and within us. It connects us to who we are, where we came from, where we're going, our relationship to the earth. That may sound silly talking about a kid's movie, but the stories for children are often where we teach our most profound and important lessons. Because you need to start learning these things young when you so intuitively understand them. For me, I can find that liminal, magical space 
watching Frozen 2, and even more importantly, watching my own daughter watch and sing along to Frozen 2 and show yourself. To know we've gone from someday my prince will come to you are the one you've been waiting for, that's profound. And yeah, as I've covered on the pod, it's not new. We get this message in The Wizard of Oz. We get this message in Moana, which I will give it that movie an entire episode all on its own because it's amazing. But here in this film, as a message of affirmation from a magical queen surrounded by the elements and goddess imagery, it is especially powerful. And it's so freaking amazing to have that as a message that millions of little girls will hear for generations. Frozen 2 is a movie about magic and nature and elements and discovering and revering the feminine divine. It's about power and mothers and sisters and daughters and goddesses finding their way through the dark to restore balance and light. And that is why it's one of the most witchy pagan movies out there and probably my favorite Disney movie. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, it was a little treat for everyone because I've been talking about Frozen 2 since I started this podcast and I thought it would be fun. And, you know, Happy New Year. I hope you're going to have a wonderful 2021 because really, knock on wood, can't, can't possibly be as bad as 2020. But as always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review or a rating because that really helps people find us and enjoy the show tweet about the podcast and tell all your friends to listen to it and while you're at it please come say hi on social media you can follow the podcast for updates and other fun on twitter and facebook and instagram at real magic pod with two e's real you can also follow me on twitter too where i'm at fangirling jess you can check out my writing on the mary sue this week i have a review up went up yesterday for the new final episodes of chilling adventures of sabrina which i pretty much i really liked the final um, part four of the series. It's got some really great goddessy stuff in it, so I do recommend it. And we'll be discussing the new season this month on the podcast. I think we're going to have a really cool guest. We have a lot of exciting things planned here on Real Magic for 2021, and I cannot wait to share them with you. But until then, stay safe out there, and remember, you are the one you've been waiting for. Bye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye, cruel world. Bye-bye, cruel world. Goodbye to life. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye to all that. Oh, that's... <laughs>